I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. I am your intrepid co-host, Anna Doherty, Product Marketing Manager at Stoplight, and we're going to do something a little different today. You keep hearing that from Jason Harmon, your actual host, but this is actually a little different. So I'm joined by my actual host, Jason Harmon. <laughs> Want to say hi, Jason? Hi, Anna. Uh, yeah, we're it's uh, in programmer terms. Today is the inversion of control. <laughs> oh, okay. I like that. This is a little mini episode. We're reflecting on the past year of API Intersection podcast. Can you believe it has been a year, Jason? No. Uh, I mean, yes and no. It's it's kind of like startup time for me where it's like, I call it like dual time dilation. Wow, I can't believe I've been here a year, but it feels like 10, right? Uh, I think the <laughs> right. podcast is the same way. Yeah, like you're in some sort of back to the future-esque time loop. And yeah. it's both the longest year of your life and the shortest. I totally yeah, feel that. Totally. Well, I think about like when we first started it and the things that we did, said and did and thought about it. And it's like, oh, so clunky and weird and didn't quite know what to expect. And now it's like, gosh, you look back on that and go, man, we went in thinking we have no idea what everyone else does. Like I know what I've done and some vague notion of what people we've talked to informally have done. But looking back now, you go like, oh, my gosh, the patterns are so clear. The, the practice of sort of API design and governance is so much more well-established than we understood. So really cool. Yeah, that was going to be my first sort of observation is what we were expecting was nobody had any answers. But I think what we've actually observed is that we are all more alike than we thought. And the conversations, questions, and challenges that we're all experiencing are so much more similar than we thought from you know the smallest one-person startup all the way to some of the biggest organizations in the world. Has any of that actually surprised you or are you taking notes? I think some of what surprised me in the last really year or two in general, but certainly the podcast helps cement, is how much this sort of awareness of design first as kind of the more productive way to do things has been widely accepted. I mean, I knew going to stoplight as a job, like that was going to color my perspective. Uh, and this was like, I thought was going to be kind of the reality check uh, versus our rose colored glasses. But it's like, no, the world woke up to it in a lot of ways in the last few years. And now it's, uh, it's kind of how things are done, right? So it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. We're on the right track, I guess. Yeah, right. It, it, it kind of points us in the right direction. We're like, oh, yeah, this affirms sort of our mission statement. <laughs> and yeah. the reason you created this podcast, which was to share information about it, because you, what was your original thesis that you didn't think there was a place for this to be discussed, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like people that work in security. What works well in security? What are the gotchas and like things that don't work well, all that? It's really hard to talk about because you don't want to give up all of your weak points. So, you know, you end up with these kind of small group sessions at conferences where people are vetted and, you know, it's like this very paranoid kind of thing. And I think sometimes that same mentality gets applied to how API programs function because, you know, it represents your future as a company in some ways and your past transgressions. And I feel like 
there's lots of little quippy bloggy bits, but just a place to get together and talk about it used to be conferences, but you know, that kind of hasn't been a thing in a few years. So I think having a place where we can get folks like this together and have those hallway discussions like we had at the conference, but now it's available for everybody else that would have gone to. And so I feel like it's kind of given a bigger audience for what would have been quiet conversations. And that speaks a little bit to some of the sort of more inclusive conversations we've had too, right? So it breaks us out of that little circle, the quiet little circle at a conference and makes it more wide-reaching, accessible. We've got people with a variety of topics that we wouldn't have thought would be able to contribute, right? And so I think it's been a success. For sure. Uh, I, I think the reality, and this is like one of the the big takeaways too, is and it's one that I certainly held dear, but I feel like has been affirmed. And uh, so now I'm like neurotic about it is uh, <laughs> that these sort of big API or platform transformations and granted it's the big enterprises that use that label. But I feel like even in smaller mm-hmm. companies where you go, we need to start thinking like a platform, we need to have consistent APIs, all this kind of stuff. It's not really a technology change or like that's not the crux of the main problem to be solved, right? It's people issues. And more often than not, it's changing how you think about teamwork. And, um, you know, a big part of healthy team building is that you're bringing in lots of different points of view. And we've touched a lot, certainly, on topics like women in tech or uh, people of color or all these different categories. But I mean, even talking to folks where they have teams distributed all over the world, people from different countries where you might be doing business, right? Just getting all that stuff mixed up in the course of what is already a big people transition in a lot of cases to sort of reorient yourself around this capability-oriented API view. I think we've touched on so many of those things and just seen how often people are saying, yeah, like, there's all these cultural changes and that's the hard part. So I think it's great that we've been able to make space for that too. Totally agree. Totally agree. We've started really thinking about Stoplight as like one small piece of a very large set of ingredients that you need in order to be successful. Uh, I actually have a list of those ingredients that you yourself outlined, Mm. Jason. We're not going to play a memory game to see if you remember what those four things are. (laughs) (laughs) But I am going to ask you sort of to give us a little bit more context. The first one you said was customer-centric universal vocabulary. Mm. So what have you learned about that over this past year and why is it so essential to an API program? Yeah, um, it's funny. I think in cases where we've talked to people who are just kind of maybe early in their journey, it's not as, as strongly recognized. But when you talk to people who've maybe consulted on helping companies do these transitions or they're years into a big kind of API oriented push, it's always the thing that's top of mind is like, what is the language that you use? Because API design is like distilling down everything into like the least, and and this is all things design, right? How do you distill it down into the least, the smallest surface possible to make it easy to use? It's just in this case, the surface is predominantly words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they take on an even greater meeting. And I think that catalog view of what you do as a company is what's represented in your portfolio of APIs. And so those top level words have huge meaning. And uh, it's been really cool to see how often kind of seasoned folks who've done this for a while 
that's front of mind. It's like, if you walk into a room with people from all these different parts of the company, all these different lines of business, they don't know how to fundamentally communicate. And we're back to, it's not really a tech problem, Mm -hmm. right? It's like beyond culture, there's communication. How do you speak about your business? Do you speak in acronym jumbles that are all siloed? Mm -hmm. Well, you're never going to agree on anything. So let's agree on how to speak first, how to talk about what we do, right? So yeah, really cool, super affirming, validating that like, this is important. Um, And as it turns out, I think generally we've seen a lot of agreement that like, this is probably not something that's easily sort of productizable or like something you could put a tool around Mm. that a whiteboard and a room full of the right people, even if it's Zoom and Miro, is probably the most powerful tool set you need because it's about the conversation, right? And that what you build after that is just the APIs. So I don't know. We'll see on that one. Maybe somebody comes up with a cool idea. Yeah, we'll see how that develops. Yeah. Uh, I think Zoom would appreciate if you said Zoom and Zoom Whiteboard, their new feature. But I also agree Zoom plus Miro is probably probably a better combination. Sponsor me, Zoom. Sponsor me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Throw some money. Your next ingredient is decentralized governance. How does that help? Yeah. I, I think this is part of a broader trend within like how to build healthy enterprises. There was this idea kind of, I don't know, 10 years ago that was so the predominant one is you have the center of excellence, right? You put all of your yeah, right. kind of smart people together and create gates everywhere. And you must pass through our gate and we will make sure you are excellent because you're apparently pretty mediocre. Which, by the way, I think <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the idea of it. I think to some extent, back to the, the, the impact of words, is this idea of like, oh, you are the place that's excellent. Everyone else isn't. And therefore, you're going to make us excellent. Yeah. There's a mindset that went with that that roundly hasn't worked. And I think the same is true for how you set up kind of API governance is the better way to think about it is, hey, everyone's developing APIs. How can we enable them to work in a way that produces more consistency, more standardization? And so the way, say, when I was at PayPal, we would explain it as like, you're going to do what you're doing. But we're here to kind of consult with you and make you look cool, right? (laughs) If you go develop these APIs by yourself and release them to the world, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that are inconsistent that you just don't know. And we're working across this huge portfolio and we have an idea of how this fits, what you should do to make it look consistent with everything else so that when you release, everyone goes, that's cool, right? And that enablement mindset is the first step. But the second piece, and this definitely for me was like, I don't think I appreciated how much this is kind of widely done now is keep that enablement team incredibly small and just pass the torch to sort of these domain, you know, typically you're like architects or whatever, but could be product people. As we know, titles mean nothing. That's certainly a a takeaway here. (laughs) But whoever it is that sort of leads the API charge in each given bucket of the business is like figure out who that is and give them authority, right? Certainly with training wheels at first, but federating the approach is the only thing that scales. Passing everyone through some giant central team, it just doesn't scale. That's the organizational bottleneck guaranteed. Boy, that sounds like another cultural thing, huh? Yeah. We, we just keep checking that box. It's like, yeah. it's almost like repeating pattern. And the third thing that kind of goes along with that, I think, is we've learned over this past year that 
style guides are incredibly important to an organization. And that's sort of that charter by which your governance runs. What have you learned about style guides and how they've been used? Yeah, I think this is like one of the wildest pieces of of the (laughs) last year in the sense that, I mean, I'm pretty religious about like the podcast is a safe place. And I know I have a a product (laughs) marketer for a co-host all the time, but you know, we were trying really hard not to like make this a place to shill about stoplight stuff, right? But more that, yeah, this is the place that's those kind of hallway discussions at the conference. But what's been crazy is we've been forced in the last few months to just accept that we need to talk about Spectral a lot more because holy crap, what a year of adoption that's been. In the early episodes, folks would talk about these sorts of things and then green room afterwards, we go, hey, are you using Spectral for that? Yeah, of course. And it's like, oh, crap, like everyone we talk to is using Spectral. It's like, geez, this is crazy. But I think I did like a history of style guides thing as I was reflecting on like, wow, how did we get here? Which I don't think anyone read, which is fine. I just needed to get it out. But I read it. It's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, you kind of have to. but (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's like five, 10 years ago, we would have said, have API standards and write them down. Right. That's what I used to always say. It's just like agree on something and write it down. And these days it's like, I don't know that you have to that much anymore. And there's been certain it's not like spectral is like the only thing that ever tried to solve this problem of can you sort of automate the detection of whether or not your API matches up with some standard. But for whatever reason, man, that thing caught fire in the last year and uh, it's everywhere now. I mean we're aware of like multiple government projects using it now. It's like, whoa, really? But yeah, I think that's what's cool is it used to be, you're going to have to basically have like people with tech writing abilities and who are able to write these RFC style like must and should and have. And it's really boring. I've done a lot of it. It's really boring work. As where now it's like probably 80% of the stuff that you would normally do in an API review without any tools, you can just like make rules and you just get linted and there's IDE plugins so that by the time you have this enablement team engage and say, hey, let's talk about the API, you're just talking about the API and you're not like, hey, did you use snake case on your parameters, right? Like super boring discussions that no one wants to have. It's the difference between copy editing and editing, right? Totally. It's the difference between the minute details that no one gives a shit about (laughs) and the actual content of the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, is this, I don't know, what's all those like writing standards they have? Like, is this Boston, uh, whatever? (laughs) (laughs) ACA compliant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Bailey would know, our producer. It's like, you know, it's it's great if, it's like we take for granted now that when you're, say, you know, editing a doc in whatever your Google Docs or, Word, you know, Microsoft Word or something, that you go, oh, I get the little squiggly line under it. And I just, you know, it autocrat or suggests or sometimes, you know, gives me all these nice ways to not sound silly. It's totally the same thing as kind of like the auto suggest, you know, spell checker for APIs, but that's certainly a lot more complicated. Well, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not, but it seems that way. Uh, it's it's easy to wrap your brain around that, right? Yeah. So, it, but I think what's cool is like because Spectral is an open source thing. In my mind, like open source is community, right? That's not about stoplight and customers. So it's been cool to be able to have stuff that we work on and talk about a lot be 
a safe thing to talk about on the podcast and community focused and just wild to see the adoption levels. So pretty cool that like so many people have been able to wipe out all those boring conversations and that we have something that looks like a standard emerging here. Totally agree. We I hate boring conversations. That's why I'm on API intersection. (laughs) (laughs) The last ingredient that I wanted to address before we wrap up this mini-sode is the idea of getting early feedback and having a mechanism for it in your API program. What are you noodling on when it comes to this? This for me is one of those just design fundamentals, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm making a consumer product or or let's say I'm making... um, I'm an industrial designer doing packaging. I, as quickly as possible, want to just hand that to people and say, what do you think? Right. And and they're going to like fold and unfold it and open it and look at it. And what they tell you after they touch an object that's been designed is very different than I'm going to show this to you on a slide. What do you think? Right. Tactile feedback is huge. So this one for me is like, it's, it's just a long time this is obvious if you study design at all, that you want tactile feedback early. Because if you wait until something's done and then you ask for tactile feedback, it's really hard to change. You're like way down the road, right? So I think what's cool about the prevalence now of stuff like OpenAPI, being a design artifact, it's really easy to do things like open up a mock against it. And another like stoplight thing here is, is Prism, but there's certainly a wide array of mocking tools out there you can use against open api certainly like generating some kind of portal uh, you know with us like elements for open source but again a million options for like portal generation stuff docs are good but let's be honest developers aren't always the greatest readers it's like just having a thing that you can call that's a fake api huge difference in like the richness of feedback that you get i think what's weird is how often APIs aside that the way that products are managed, people don't plan in some kind of early access or beta or whatever label you want to slap on it. That like we're going to have a a smaller group of folks that we share this with before anyone else gets to see it, even if it's really crappy and it's got all kinds of rough edges. There's this fear that like, well, if I give them a crappy thing, they're going to hate it. It's like not if you tell them this is in development and do the bones make sense, right? Can you touch it, feel it, smell it, and go, yeah, this is going in the right direction. That is one of the biggest cost-saving measures that you can do as a product manager is like figure out if it's going to actually make sense early. And one of those other isms we learned this year is like uh, uh, an API is just kind of another product and good old school product Mm -hmm. management works, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say it's true with anything, but especially with APIs because once you release the thing, you can't take it back. It's integrated with stuff. There's code written against it. So like you got to get it more right than a lot of other kinds of products. And a better way to get it right is to give it to people who already pay you or will pay you for it, right? So yeah. get it right with the people who are funding yeah. you. <laughs> sure. And I mean, granted, there's there's APIs out there that aren't a, sort of a directly monetized thing. And monetized, right. Certainly for people, you know, there's quite a few people working in government now working on APIs. Um, I mean, a lot of the people that I've known from the API community are now working on government projects. So sometimes it's not about whether or not people will pay and all that stuff. It's just, is it useful, mm-hmm. right? Does it solve a problem? And is it, a, I don't know, the product management idea I subscribe to is this like jobs to be done thing. Is it doing the job that you're trying to accomplish, right? And you just 
can't figure that out until people write code against it. So mock early against an abstract design because it's cheap. <laughs> That's how I would sell it. Fantastic. Well, Jason, uh, thank you for sharing all these insights. And if you, the listener, enjoy these insights, we've actually compiled them into an ebook that you can download. We will share the link in the description below. You can click the link and it'll take you right to the content. It's free. It's basically just all of our learnings from the past year, from all of the great guests that we've had. And it gives you a little bit of a, a roadmap into if you had to start it all over again, here's some of the places you can start, what you should look for, and how you can have better outcomes with your API program than perhaps people like Jason did 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is our problem to solve of when people say, hey, how do I do all this API stuff? You know, how do I set up my program? And we go, oh, you should listen to the podcast. There's a lot of good advice from people that know what they're talking <laughs> about. They go, all right, well, let me just set aside like a week of my life to binge <laughs> that. Like now you don't have to do that. Uh, there's it's a pretty good encapsulation of like all the highlights. So absolutely should, should make it easier to like catch up and not have to do like uh I don't know, whatever your favorite podcast platform is and chill with Stoplight because it's just a lot. Right? So ebook should be nice. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for letting me steer this episode. And yeah. uh, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next time. Yeah, the uh, inversion of control was fun. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.